John chapter 13 is where we're going to be, and I'm going to talk to you about this subject of the heart of a servant. And, and so what, is, what does that look like? What does a heart of a servant look like as we get ready to take communion at the close of the service? You see, Jesus, um, this is a huge time in Jesus' ministry when Jesus is about ready to go to the cross and this, the Seder, the, the Passover, and Jesus begins leading the disciples through this time that we're about ready to enter into at the close of the service. But Jesus interrupts the meal because he wants to communicate something to the disciples. And so the early church and, and all the way up to us, we've been following the, the tradition of communion. And so depending on your, your background, you may have heard it referred to as communion, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, breaking bread, the Eucharist. All of those basically mean the same thing. And uh, so Jesus leads into this time. And see, there's two ordinances uh, that, that were handed off uh, for the New Testament church. The ordinance... Of, of baptism and then the ordinance of, of communion. And the ordinance of baptism, baptism demonstrates our initial identification with Christ in the church. We're baptized into the church with one spirit, one body. And so it's our public, first our public testimony. So baptism, biblical baptism is not optional for the believer. In fact, is it's a command. It's uh, we follow the example of Christ that after we meet Christ and we enter into a relationship with him, then we are baptized because he's a picture of the new life that, that brings. And so baptism is like, our, is, is like our initial identification with Christ in the church. Communion is our continual identification with Christ and the church. And so baptism could be said like this. Baptism a lot of times looks like the wedding ceremony of the Christian life. And communion is like the wedding anniversary. It's the anniversary of the Christian life. In other words, this, just like in marriage, you have the wedding ceremony and then, then, then you, have, you have anniversaries and those anniversaries you celebrate. And you look back over your life, how you met and some of your memories and all of those other things. And so the same is true celebrating communion for the early church is when we remember back. And just like in marriage, and, and you know this, it's not good to miss an anniversary, right? <laughs> yeah, like, like the 9 o'clock service, a lot of the men said, amen, preach on, remind us. And so... Uh, so it's not good to forget an anniversary. And so the same is true with, with, with communion is Scripture doesn't dictate how often, but Scripture does say that we should take time and she, we should remember that what brings unity to us is the unity of Christ and, and to where we all come from different backgrounds. We have different skills. We have different uh, uh, vocations. We have different educational levels and all of those other things. And so, But what brings unity is not all those things. What brings unity to the body, and Ephesians talks about unity all the time, but what brings unity to the body is that, 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 that we have in Christ. And so communion is remembering that unity. And so, so Jesus is guiding the disciples through this. In John chapter 13, verse 1, we're just going to read through this, and we're going to look at three principles that, that, if, that, what, um, that a heart of a servant will do. And say, verse 1, chapter 13. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, the, the, this next statement has just rocked me. Uh, for some time now and then he says and he loved them to the end that when you're in Christ that he loves you he loves you to the end and we'll unpack that during supper Simon's son to betray him. 
So Jesus does something, and, and culturally it's just kind of hard for us to understand, but culturally Jesus is about ready to interrupt this meal, and, and uh, this just like never happened. But because Jesus wanted to communicate something, he wanted to meet a need, and so verse 3, and so Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, Jesus rose from supper. So he interrupts the meal, and he does something that caught them all off guard. And he laid aside his outer garments and taken a towel, he tied it around his waist. Now listen, we'll jump ahead a little bit, but verse 17, verse 17 that, that, that Jesus is, is trying to teach these guys that, 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 that it's deeper than just knowing these things. It's deeper than knowing what a servant is. But Jesus in, in verse 17 basically says, it's not just knowing these things, but it's, it's doing these things. And by doing these things, you are blessed. You'll have a blessed life. And so I don't know if you're like me, but whenever I'm reading through Scripture and I come to that place and, and Jesus says, your life will be blessed if, it's like a conditional promise, if you do this, I'll do this. Something about me, I just, I just want to understand what it means to live a life that is blessed, to properly steward this life so you live a life that, that is blessed. And so, so, so Jesus begins teaching them that. And so three things about a servant, three things about what servants will do. The first thing is this, servants are willing to change their plans. Servants are willing to change their plans. In verse 4, it says this. It says, Jesus rose up from supper. In other words, he, he interrupted a meal, a meal that was never supposed to be interrupted. This was a meal that the Seder, this was a meal that we call communion, in which they had an order of worship. It was very, it was very direct. It was very prescribed. And nobody ever, ever, ever uh, went off track. Nobody ever in, in, interrupted this. In other words, this is one of those special meals that there's like no interruptions. And so maybe, maybe you have some special meals like that. Uh, I've told you before that, you know what, I was raised in, 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 a, in a different time uh, when we didn't have cell phones, you know, social media, electronic devices. We didn't even have voicemail. Uh, fact is, we just had rotary phones when, we, when I started out with phones and, and a party line, which is really cool because when you got bored around the house, you could just pick up and eavesdrop on everybody else's phone calls <laughs> until they heard you breathing. And so... Uh, like what and so <laughs> and so and so you guys I've told you you guys may have been raised in, in, in that generation in that time to remember those days when the phone would ring and, and nobody at the table would flinch because supper time was was like critical uh, and so and, and so your dad you'd look at the phone and your dad would say uh, said uh, don't get it and if it's important they'll call back I mean they'll, they'll call back and so now, now today we have all these electronic devices. And so I don't know if you're like us, but, but there's some special meals. We don't want to be interrupted. And uh, maybe, maybe they're nightly meals. Maybe they're, maybe they're special meals, traditions, and holidays and things like that. But we would have meals that we would take a box and we'd say, okay, everybody dump their electronic devices in the box right now. Uh, we don't want any text messaging, no Twittering, uh, no posting on Instagram of what you're eating because people like to do that for some odd reason. And... <laughs> You know, we don't want any calls. We don't, we don't want to be interrupted. It's like an important meal. And, but there are those times that we would interrupt a meal when there was an emergency and there was something out of the ordinary. And so Jesus begins to interrupt this meal and he, because he wanted to meet a need. Because he told the disciples and he tells us, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you to the end. And in Life Journal, if you've been Life Journaling with us, you, you know through Ephesians about unity of the body and no division and all that other stuff. Well, we've been reading Proverbs just a few weeks ago. It just, the Proverbs says, many will say that they are loyal friends. But who can find one 
But the writer of Proverbs, who can find one that's really reliable? In the words of the great theologian, Taylor Swift, <laughs> when she was accepting a Lifetime Achievement Award at the CMAs, because she ditched country for pop or whatever she's going to now, I don't know. And she made the statement. She says, you learn who your real friends are when you tell them something they don't want to hear. And they still love you. Jesus telling disciples, telling us, I'm going to love you. I'm going to love you till the end. And you may or may not have a reliable friend. You may or may not have a loyal friend. But in Christ, we all have one reliable friend. One friend that's going to love you. It's going to love you to the end. Whether it's a good seasons, bad seasons. Whether they're disappointed with your decisions or not. He's going to love you to the end. And, and you see the heart of a servant. And you see the heart of a servant is willing to, it's willing to, to change their plans and Jesus was willing to interrupt a, an important meal to, to meet a need. And, and I started reflecting back on, on my Christian life. And, and when, I, when I came to faith in Christ, I, I just wanted to follow him. I, I just wanted to serve him. And, and the way you serve him is through serving others. And so, so I was a new Christian and, and kind of learning. And so in my first church, uh, they let me, that I was attending when I met Christ, uh, they let me teach eighth grade, by, uh, eighth, eighth grade boys because how can you mess that up, right? It's just eighth grade boys. And so we're in a large church, and I had 32 boys in my Sunday school class. And so I still remember. And so I'm learning along with them. And then I'd go, and I'd, I was imparting knowledge to these kids and teaching them stuff. You know, they're punching each other. They're, they're burping, and, you know, they're picking their nose. And, and you know, and, and I was like, and I remember just getting so frustrated. And so I told them, I said, okay, here's the deal. If you guys start listening, if you start remembering your memory verse, then in, at the end of this semester, I'll take you on a camping trip. How's that? We'll get some of your dads to go with us. And, and, and so, well, it comes time for the camping trip. I wanted to fulfill my promise. None of the dads except for one wanted to go with us. And so I didn't know in those days that that's not a good ratio, me to 32 boys, <laughs> eighth graders. So I was just stupid. So I said, we're going, you know, we, I said it, we're going. And so I did have one dad finally volunteer, and he says, you know, I'll go. I'm just going to cook. I'm not going to do crowd control. I'm not kicking them back in bounds. I'm not going to teach them a lesson. I, I'm just there to cook. I'll be the cook. I had a bus driver that the church provided that says, you know what? I'm only being paid to drive the bus. I'm not doing any, I, I, I'm really scared. 32 eighth grade boys. It's crazy. And so we go to a state park. And so we set up camp. And so those of you who have been teachers, uh, you remember that one student that you'll never forget? And not for good reasons like? Uh, and you, you know, you, you, like you remember their name? My student is Barry Beeman. And yeah, and I can say his name because he's probably incarcerated in Texas, but... Uh, <laughs> But I, Barry Beeman was one of those guys. And so, so we get out of the bus. Barry's like, he brought camouflage, and he's camouflaging his face. He's handing it out. And I'm like, I think we're losing control here. And so, uh, and so it was like nuts. And so the bus driver locked himself in the bus, and these kids are like going nuts. And so I asked the cook, the dad that was cook, I says, listen, we've got to do something with Barry Beeman. I said, can you, can you enlist him to help you cook? He said, absolutely. He said, Barry, come here. And he hands Barry like a Sam's size 
can of pork and beans, and, uh, and we're doing hot dogs because that's what you give eighth grade boys, and so and pork and beans. And so he hands it to Barry. He said, Barry, warm these up for me. And Barry says, no problem. And so, but he didn't supervise because he's the cook. He didn't want to supervise, and so he didn't supervise. And so all of a sudden, the hot dogs are ready. We've got the kids around. About that time, the cook looks around, and I look around and say, hey, Barry, where, where, are, the, where are the beans? And about that time, we, we realize that high-pitched noise we've been hearing. We look in the fire, and Barry had taken the whole can of beans and just dumped them in the fire. About that time, the beans exploded and blew hot beans all over the kids. And so now we not only had crowd control problems, now we had first aid issues. And I learned a lot about first aid. And we're treating burns and all of that other stuff. I said, man, this is going south in a hurry. And so I'll never forget, about 2 o'clock in the morning, I'd lost all control. The cook, the dad, with the cook guy, he put himself in his tent to drown out all the noise in the campsite. He had two box fans going in his tent just to try to drown it out so he could sleep. It's like insane. And all of a sudden, this man, because it's a state park, it's a public park, this man who I had never met, but I just thank God for him, uh, he, he steps out of his tent, he starts yelling and screaming at the boys, using non-church words, by the way, and, and, and then he says, then he says, the next one of you boys that makes a noise, I'm going to shoot and kill on the spot with my 357 Magnum. I'm like, thank you, Jesus. Maybe they will listen to you, to him. And so, now this unsettled the boys. So they, they come running to me. They lost all their color. Please don't judge me. I was a new Christian at the time. And so, so, so they, they come to me and they say, ah, what should we do? And they're like shaking. And I says, you know what? I honestly don't think it matters because you're all going to hell. And, and I says, but... But if I was you, I'd get in my tent and I'd go to sleep so you don't die tonight. That's what I would do. And so then through the night, I felt bad what I said. So woke up the next morning. You know, our Bible study was on how you can't lose your salvation. And so, I, <laughs> but you know, it's amazing. God taught me a lot to those eighth grade boys. God taught me a lot what it meant to be a, a little bit after that I got married to Karen. And then after that, we, we started a, a youth at risk ministry to where we took a bunch of kids that were, were kind of seen as discards in, in society and everything else. They, they were gang kids. They were crips and bloods and little Latin kings. And so we rented out a, um, a, a fitness center. We used the sauna or the, the whirlpool to baptize these kids in. And so we brought all these kids together as one. And the only rules were this, is that once you come in, you cannot fly your colors. You cannot fly your colors. You cannot flash your signs because I don't give a rip what gang you come out of. What unites us is not the gang that you come out of. What unites us is Christ. And all, all ground is level at the cross. See, what unites us, see, the whole thing about the, supper, the Lord's Supper or communion is this, is the unity is what unites us is Christ. And the world should be able to look into the church and say, you know what? I just got a glimpse of the, of the kingdom of God. That's how believers behave. That's how believers talk about one another. Because of this unity, because they understand. See, I got a glimpse in this youth at risk ministry. I went over and visited a, a kid that was having a hard time. His name was Tyler. I'm sitting in the front room of his house. And uh, his mom and dad are in a domestic quarrel. I mean, it is like loud and it's vicious. And I finally asked Tyler. I said, hey, Tyler, what's going on back there? Should I leave? Uh... And Tyler's like, no, it's okay. You know, they're fight. You know what they're fighting over? My birthday's next week, and they're fighting over who's going to stay home and host my birthday party. 
Neither one of them want to do it. We started throwing birthday parties for these gang kids. Some of these kids had never, ever played musical chairs. They, they didn't even know because they just didn't have that history. See, the heart of a servant, telling you, the heart of what, what Jesus is trying to help these disciples to understand is this issue about, about servanthood to where you're willing just to change your, you're willing just to change your, your, your plans. And you know what? As I look back over my Christian life and my ministry, I'm telling you, I got some of the greatest memories. Yeah, I've gone through some difficult times. It doesn't keep you from going through difficult times. But the weird thing is those eighth grade boys taught me a lot. Those gang kids taught me a lot. Uh, changing your plans. I mean, Karen and I, after we were married, we radically changed our plans in 1994 when we were offered to come here and plant a church. We changed everything. I'm telling you what Jesus is trying to help the disciples to understand is this issue, the heart of a servant is just willing just to change their plans. The second thing is this. Heart of a servant not only will change their plans, a heart of a servant will change their perspective. Now, now Jesus is taking the disciples and he's trying to help them just change their perspective. And in verse 4 he says, and he laid aside his outer garments. And so, now this may not mean a lot to you, and it probably doesn't mean a lot to any of us because it's a cultural issue, but when Jesus got up and rose from supper and began to take off the outer garment, you know what he was doing? He was taken on the form of a servant, and they would never do that at this meal. In other words, this, Jesus was trying to help the disciples to understand that, that, that if you're going to serve, and if you're going to have a heart of a servant, then that means you're going to have to be willing to lay aside your desires sometimes. You're going to have to be willing to lay aside your agenda. You're going to have to let go of your pride. You're going to have to let go of your e ego. And, and you may have to lay, lay aside a lot of stuff that is painful. But you've got to come to this place. You've got to realize that, guess what? It's not all about you. See, you will never, listen, you will never meet a need in someone else's life when it's all about you. Because you'll never be ever to see their needs. You will only be able to see your needs. You won't even be able to see the destruction that's going on around you because all you can see is your need. See, I believe this is why so many people in our culture struggle with depression is because we live in a selfie generation. We even got selfie sticks to get a better selfie now. I mean, everybody's posting pictures of like themselves and, and, and their food. And, and, and I've said this in some of the services, not all services. I, I just learned the average girl takes 17 selfies before she finds one to post. And it's like, nope, 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 bam, that's it. <laughs> and it's not the one that she looks worse in, right? Because we make everything all about ourselves and there's something that happens in the life of a servant that begins to change their perspective and understand, guess what? It's not all about me. See, Jesus was trying to help his disciples to understand that when you're, when, when you're, when you're a servant, when you understand the Christian life, you understand that what joins us, what, what, where unity comes from is Christ, the table, communion, what we remember. It's not our differences. It's it, what binds us. See, Jesus was a part of Christian community. Jesus was part of a life group. Uh, Jesus was part of a group of people that they shared. See, the Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation. It's meant to be lived in community with one another. I'm just telling you, when I've changed my plans and changed my perspective, even though I don't like it all the times, God has taught me so much in those situations and so in, in, in those environments. And so the question is, are you living the Christian life in, in isolation or community? See, this is why we take communion as a community. This is why we take communion together. Because it's this picture that what binds us, what knits us together, 
is, is the common thing that we have, which is Jesus Christ, who Jesus has promised this. Jesus promised, guess what? I'll love you to the end. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Whether you make decisions I agree with, disagree with, whether you do things that I, I don't care. I'm going to love you. I am going to love you till the end. So the third thing is this about a heart of a servant is, is a heart of a servant will not only change their plans, will not only change their perspective, but a heart of a servant will change their position. Verse 5 in Genesis, in, in, not in Genesis, John, John 13, verse 5. Then he, Jesus, so he rose from supper, and now this has to be freaking the disciples out at this point because they know he's, he's going off script. He's not doing the order of worship for the Seder. And so he says, then he poured water into a basin, and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? So, so Simon Peter's pushing back. So let's don't judge Simon Peter. I find so, so often that the, that the church, that you know what? We, we trash Simon Peter for some of the things he did and some of the things he said. And, and for me, I relate more to Simon Peter than some of the other disciples. And, and so, so Simon Peter said, Lord, do you wash my feet? In other words, here's what he said in English. Lord, you ain't washing my feet. Because see, here culturally, Culturally, a, a Jewish person would never wash another one's feet. That was something that only a, a menial slave would do. And all of a sudden, Jesus, what, what Philippians says is he took on the form of a ser servant. He humbled himself. In other words, he changed his position on purpose to teach them to meet a need. And so, so a Jewish person would never. So can you imagine what's taking place that the disciples are having the Seder communion? They're, they're reclining. They would recline on their left side. Their, their, their feet would be out in front of them. All of a sudden, Jesus goes over to a basin. He takes off the outer garment. He puts a towel around. And they're like, hey, he looks a lot like a servant. What is he doing? He grabs a basin of water. He walks over. And I've, I've never, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but washing someone's feet that have only worn sandals, in dirt cannot be a pretty sight, right? So, and he says, so Jesus answered him, what am I doing? You do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. So Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon, if you don't let me wash your feet, we're not in relationship. We're together. And so watch what Simon says. And so Simon said to him, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean. Now watch this. But not every one of you. For Jesus knew who was betray him. And that's why he said, not all of you are clean. Now, stop right there. Can you believe Jesus changed his position and he washed the feet of the one that was going to betray him? That's the heart of a servant. He knew. He knew Judas Iscariot was going to leave for there and sell him out. And he washed his feet. He washed his feet. And when he'd washed their feet and put on his outer garments, and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? 
And so now they know Jesus, is, this is, he's not teaching us how to wash people's feet. There's something deeper here. Verse 13, you, you call me teacher and Lord, and, and you are right, for so am I. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also, you also, if Christ resides in you, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you also should not do just as I have, that you should do just as I have done. And then he gives a reason. Verse 16, truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent him. If you know these things, in other words, it's not about knowledge, right? We get that in the Christian life. Blessed are you if you don't. You want to have a blessed life? You want to have peace? You want to have joy? You want to live a life that is on a different plane, a different level? You want to have that joy and that peace that the world can't take away? Then you can't act like the world. You can't use worldly ways to get the results you want. So blessed are you if you do this. Blessed are you if you have the heart of a servant. But, but Jesus is saying, if, if you'll take the position of a servant, it will, it will transform the lives of, of people. If you're, if you're going to be a servant, nothing is beneath you. He's washing the feet of the one that would betray him. And he pours out his love and his compassion and because he knew, I think, that the individual just didn't know the power of serving. Jesus knows that the disciples don't get this. That it would be important for them to get this. Because Jesus is about ready to hand off the gospel to them. So the question is, is are you willing to serve where, wherever you're needed? Are you willing to serve wherever God wants you to serve? If you, if you don't understand what it means to have the heart of a servant, the cause that, that causes you to, to change your plans and change your perspective and, and uh, change your direction, then nothing else really matters. Let me, let me just tell you, as a pastor, if you don't understand what it means to serve others, it will negatively affect your marriage right it, it affects your marriage, it affects your, your work, it affects your relationships and your friendships, it affects the church, it affects everything. If you don't understand what it means to where, to where instead, of, instead of always just seeing your needs, seeing the needs of others, and, and when, when, we enter, when we enter into this time in just a few moments where we understand what God is trying to teach us, that, that communion is like this, is communion is like this, this celebration of what he has done for us. What are you thankful for today? Communion is a picture that Christ has taken away your sins. Where there's total and complete forgiveness that he's promised to love you to the end. But just, just think for me for a second, and please don't answer this question out loud. How many times do you sin during a day? So let's just say this. 
Let's say you live a pretty good life, and on average, you, you only sin three times a day. Do you realize if you die at the age of 40, that that means you will have committed 45,000 sins or crimes against God? And can you imagine going to him and saying, here are my 45,000 crimes against you. Here are my 45,000 sins and being held accountable for that. When we're in Christ, because of what Christ did for us on the cross, see, when they crucified someone, they, they would put their sins over their head. And the only thing that was over Jesus' head is, this is king of the Jews. What was really over his head were the list of my sins and, and your sins. And he went to the cross, and he, dead and he, he, he died, and he bled, and he said, it is finished. And when we're in Christ, all those 45,000 sins are taken away. We are totally and completely forgiven. We are deeply loved in him. In other words, he says, I'll love you to the end. We are perfect and we're complete in here. We, we take on, we have the righteousness of Christ, which means we are in right standing with him. See, it's communion that identifies us with him and identifies us with one another. Our ushers are, are going to begin making their way back to the, the back as they prepare the, the bread and the juice and begin to, to pass that out. And as they do, Scripture would say this. Scripture would tell us, Scripture would tell us that before we take of the bread and before we take of the juice, that we should examine, that we should examine our life and where we are with him. Are we in right standing with him? Are we in right standing with others? Do we understand what it means to be a servant? All the way through scripture, you see this, 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 just this picture of what communion means and what this time means. That it's not only a backward look to the cross, but it's a forward look. As the bread and the juice are being passed out, uh, a plate will come by. There's two cups on top of the other. You pull both cups off, hold them there in place, pass the plate. Uh, you don't have to be a member of Fellowship of the Rockies uh, to take communion. Um, uh, you just have to be a believer in Christ. So if that is you, we want you to examine your life and then we'll take together in just a few minutes.
remind us that the way we approach communion, the way that we take communion, affects the way we see salvation. Salvation is not something that we do. Salvation is not something that we earn. Salvation is not something that we obtain by doing some religious stuff. Salvation is by grace alone, in faith, in Christ. So it's not some religious things that we do. Nothing during this time is imparted to us. We're not, listen, we're not obtaining grace. We're not obtaining forgiveness. Grace is grace because it's not obtainable. In other words, you don't earn grace. That's why it's called grace. It is faith in what He has done for us on the cross. How Christ lived His life so that we could live. That He died a death and He was a substitute for us on our behalf. So that when we trust in Him, His righteousness is granted to us. Right standing before a holy and a righteous God. Wiping away the 45,000 sins. So the biblical understanding of communion is the bread and the juice are symbolic of the body of Christ. And I get it. And I'm going to read out of Matthew in just a second. John chapter 6, the gospel say when Jesus said with the disciples, this is my body, eat. This is my blood, drink. Please remember, Jesus always used pictures uh, to communicate something. I am the door. I am the bread. I am the vine. And when he made that statement, this is my body, this is my blood, when he made that statement, he was there with the disciples in the flesh. Blood was still pumping through his veins. And what he was telling them this, is this is symbolic of what I've done for you. And communion, listen, I'm telling you, communion should never be taken lightly. Communion is not a funeral. Communion is a celebration that because of what Christ has done for us on the cross, we can live in freedom and we're free of the junk and the stuff of our past. And that He has promised, He has promised just to love us till the end. Just to love us. And because of that, we just serve Him. So communion is a picture of what He has done for us. And He said in the Scriptures, he says, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread. And after blessing it, he broke it and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, take and eat for this is my body. Before we take of the bread, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your sacrifice. Father, we thank you that your word teaches us that no one forced you to go to the cross. That, Father, that no one took your life from you, but... But Lord, you laid your life down for us willingly so that we could be in right standing, so that you could take our sins on, you who knew no sin and lived a perfect life. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And Father, we thank you that this represents symbolic of your body that was broken for us. For we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Would you take of the bread, please? And Jesus goes on and he says, and Jesus took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, 
the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you that I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you and my Father's kingdom. So I, I just can't imagine this. Do you realize Jesus is waiting to take communion again to where all the saints who are all with him in heaven? See, communion is not only a backward look to the cross, it's a forward look to the day when the day comes and we'll be in heaven and we'll gather around the throne and Jesus will take communion with us because the only thing that unites us is Christ and eternity. And he says, take of this juice for it represents my blood for without the shedding of blood there'd be no forgiveness of sin let's pray before we take of the juice father we thank you for your love we just thank you for your grace father we thank you that we are covered by your blood and there's power in that and so father may we just understand as we take of the juice in just a few moments father we may we understand our past has no power over us that we're totally loved we're completely forgiven that we are perfect and complete in you and that we have the righteousness of Christ and this is a celebration of what you have done for us and we thank you for that for we ask these things in Jesus name amen will you take of the juice please one more time would you just bow your heads and just close your eyes right where you are and the only reason we ask for heads bowed and with eyes closed is just we're so easily distracted in our society and in our time. So let me just ask you this question as you sit before him. What is God saying to you as a result of this message? More importantly, what is your next step? Every one of us has a next step. It doesn't matter if you're a brand new Christian or you've been a Christian a long time. That's why it's called the Christian walk. That's why it's called the Christian journey. Because every one of us in this place has a next step. Maybe your next step is accepting him and entering into a relationship with him. Maybe your next step is this. You know him. It is to take on the heart of a servant, being willing to change your plans and being willing to change your perspective. And just follow him. Just meet needs. Maybe this morning you'd say, you know what, I, I'm just carrying a burden. I'm carrying a prayer request. I, I just need someone to pray for me. Well, you're, you're in a great place because we want to pray for you. So if you're carrying a burden, you're carrying a prayer request, it may have to do with something that I just talked about. It may not have anything that I just talked about, and that's okay too. But if you need prayer in any area of your life, after I pray, we're going to stand. And if you're carrying a burden, we want to release that burden. We want to minister to you. And so after I pray, we stand. If you need prayer in any area, you just as you stand up with the rest of us in a few moments, you just step out, begin making your way down the front. We'll have people walking with you. We'll have some prayer partners down here. And we would love to meet you at your place of need. Father, we thank you for today. Father, we thank you for your grace. And Father, we just thank you for the power of your word and the power of the Lord's table communion and the remembrance of that. Would you pull this church very close to you? May we understand who we are in Christ. And Father, for those that just need prayer, Father, they respond to you. Would prayers be answered? Burdens would be lifted? Would they know that they have met with you today? For we ask these things in Jesus' name.